Y'all ready for this? Welcome to the Dan DeVerna Podcast, where we talk about business, life, and how to win it both. I'm talking today to Jerry Walzak, Realtor to the Stars in Pittsburgh, <laughs> Ohio. Yay. Most glamorous of all real estate <laughs> agents, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And how long have you been uh, doing the real estate thing, Jerry? So I've been licensed for 26 long years, but uh, to be honest with you, towards the last five or six years, I've noticed it's become easier. Now it's starting to filter um, business in on its own. So I just, I love the way the market's going and I love the way my business is at right now. It's in a good place. Awesome. So who do you work for? Uh, Remax Central. Yeah. Remax Central. So that if somebody wanted to reach out to you, first of all, like what's the best way? How do we find you, Jerry? Uh, I always tell everybody, call me on my cell phone anytime. Um, and it's 419-261-7362. But uh, I have a really easy email. It's simply jerry at bex.net. So all you have to do is uh, put that in and most people will find me. It's All you have to do is type in Jerry Walzak. Normally it's online. So it's pretty easy. Fantastic. So like whenever I talk to anybody right now about real estate stuff, it's it's really kind of unreal. Like in the middle of this kind of crazy pandemic time, we're seeing uh, like houses move as, as fast as they go on the market, right? Like tell us a little bit about your experience with what you've seen this year. So during the pandemic, I actually did not shut down. Um, there were a lot of people that did. I respect them for that decision. It's just, for me, my business kept going. In, fa in fact, most people were so bored that they were out looking at real estate. So I felt like my business, instead of going down, it actually spiked um, during that time. And so for me, I couldn't not do business unless, uh, you know, we work for ourselves. We're 100% commission and that's what we do. So you gotta, you know, you have to, you know, do the deal. You have to make money for your family and, um, and be safe about it. Certainly I was safe about it. I always had my PPEs. I had my face mask on, my sanitizer for all my clients. And, you know, we stayed six feet apart. So you're in a house that um, is, you know, 1,500 to three or 5,000 square feet. You're not near each other. So I felt like it was pretty safe no matter what. Mm -hmm. Good, good. And, um, yeah, how do, you, how do you go through in the process of selling people's houses in this, what's clearly a, a seller's market? I mean... Um, kind of maybe visit visit the process because I think it, it maybe it's a little bit different in this type of situation and have you seen a situation like this before in your 26 years of doing this yes I have actually it was roughly um, in 2003 to 2000 maybe you know six um, it was really really busy we were putting offers in like crazy and then of course we had the market crashed on us in 2007, eight, nine, but it really did pick up. It didn't take that long. Everybody's got to sell. Everybody's got to buy. There's going to always, um, you know, have some fluctuation in the market. And you're going to see that people, even when our market goes bad, somebody has to get transferred. Somebody has to um, maybe downsize. 
some people benefit, they, they're upsizing. Um, but you're going to see a lot of people um, make decisions during this time because they're right now it's an election year. You're going to see people try to get where they want to get closer to their family because of the pandemic. They don't know if we're going to get shut down again. So they're, they're making, you know, big decisions and you're seeing the market change. Um, I'll tell you about one that I had this week, which was kind of momentous. I actually went in my old stomping ground in South Toledo, which I, I'm a South Toledo lover, love Perrysburg, love mommy, but South Toledo, I just absolutely loved it. And uh, every time I get to list one back there, I always go, I lived there. But mm -hmm. this one that I listed this week, um, I actually had the client, she's like, what should I do? Um, you know, she was referred to me by another realtor, which is ironic. That normally does not happen, but she was referred to me by another realtor mm -hmm. and I gave her everything to do. I told her, have it ready for me. And what everything means is I wanted it staged. If there was painting that needed to be done, if there was, um, you know, marks on the walls, let's use those erasers, um, you know, move things out, depersonalize that home. Because the problem is everybody their home is made for them. They set it up for their, their own family, their kids, you know, the dogs, the cats. Um, but you'll find that a lot of people tend to stare at that stuff while they're walking around and you're trying to keep their attention in a home. Um, she removed everything that we asked for. And I told her as soon as I walked in and I took pictures on Tuesday, I believe we're going to have multi-offers. And she mm -hmm. did not believe me. We had 19 showings as of yesterday. Uh, we've only been wow. on the market one day. Um, we Whoa. now have, yes, yeah. We now have seven offers. Um, I will be meeting with her this afternoon um, to go over that. And when I got to tell her, she's like, you're joking. And I'm like, no, I mean, this is the market right now. If you do what we ask you to do as a realtor, you pick your favorite realtor, number one, pick your favorite realtor. It doesn't matter if it's one that you used before or you want to try a new one. You know, sometimes that hurts your heart because you put your effort into your realtor um, and your realtor puts her effort into you, but you know, you got to go with your heart. Um, you know, and uh, she went with me and next thing you know, we've got seven offers and 19 showings and we keep we have to cancel them all now um that's what we've been doing we've been canceling from thursday to friday because she's going to take an offer today yeah so how do you manage um so well let's go back a step before i ask that question so <laughs> when you you walk through the house and you give this person an idea of what you think it's worth mm -hmm. based upon what's been going on around their area and then you tell them like a kind of a punch list, like, hey, this is what you need to do. Right. Is that right? Yes. Actually, I go first. I, the very first thing I do is look at curb appeal. Um, and you try not to be offensive to people, but because this is their home. It's their baby. They love it. The majority of the people take care of their home. I say about 80% of Americans, they want their house to represent them. So you're going to see people go crazy in their front yards and put water fountains. And, and then there's that, you know, easy peasy, nice yard, straightforward. But if, if you've got a mess and you've got to clean it up, you got to be forward as an agent and go, okay, so we need some TLC in the front. How about we spend a week and a half before I list this versus we get a hundred, you know, feedbacks that say house is bad. Um, didn't pick up the dog waste. That's a big one. Um, you know, people don't want to see, pet debris on the ground. But, um, you know, pricing it right. 
um, going inside the house, looking around, saying, okay, let's just move some of these dog toys, kid toys, put them in a box, put them downstairs, you're moving, so let's get started on that. Um, making sure there's no smells. A lot of people don't like to hear the word that, you know, it might smell because of a dog or a cat. It's not offensive. It's, it's okay to have a wet dog and a wet cat and it smell like dog and cat. But at the same moment, we got to get that taken care of before the buyer gets in there because we're going to hear feedback from front yard, backyard, inside, outside. And if you don't take care of it, you're going to hear the feedback and you're not going to want to talk to your agent all the time because she's giving you bad news. So, yeah. So as a person that has moved, it hasn't been recently, but it was a while back. Um, you get through, kind of get through that checklist and you start showing the property and then all of a sudden you've got seven offers <laughs> like how, where do you begin now like obviously great problem to have if you want to call it a problem but how does someone sort through those is it your responsibility as the agent more is it the uh person that's selling the house like how does how does that work with that many moving parts and that many people? Like what, what's that process look like? And is it different or is it the same? I, for me, I do it the same every time. Um, everybody submits their offers and in a multi offer, you're going to see people put escalation clauses on them. And I'll go over that in a little bit, but you'll have, you know, different entities on this offer that sometimes they're clean. Sometimes they have requests. Buyers will maybe ask for closing costs. Um, maybe they didn't fill out all the paperwork. That's something that's a pet peeve with me is like, you know, we have, you know, all this time before we set that time. Like right now I have a 12 o'clock time limit on any offers. I'm not taking anything after that. Um, and so I'm going to print them all, take them out to my client. We're going to sit down and, you know, we're going to look at financing. We're going to look at the different types of financing and, and find out, you know, what works best, um, you know, for my seller. Is there a cash offer in there? Obviously that's the best way to go. If we have the highest cash offer, you know, it's going to close. All we have to do is go through inspections, but there are times when offers don't even have inspections. They'll take them out. We'll have people take out home warranties. We'll have people take out, you know, um, you know, possession dates. So they'll give the seller 30 days possession to stay in the home just because they want that house. Or um, maybe they'll take out the appraisal. If they're a cash buyer, they can do that. Obviously not with lending, but um, they can take that out. And so you're slowly but sure you're seeing the best offer is not always the highest offer. And I can yeah, tell you so so that you, you say like the cash offer is the best and that's, but you're taking for granted that we know what that means. I mean, a cash offer, is that what it sounds like? Like somebody's got, like this house costs $211,000 and they're going to walk in with 215000 in, like literally they have it in cash or in it, you know, where they can write a check for this property. Is that what a cash offer really is? Well, so cash is different. Um, and, and I've only experienced one bad experience with cash is that normally cash is like what you have in your bank and everybody assumes that's what you have in your bank. It could be coming from a 401k, could be coming from a Roth that maybe is ready to go. I mean, you don't know, it could be coming from a mom's gift. I mean, so you got to verify that. And, and when somebody tells me it is cash, you have got to have proof of funds. If you cannot get me proof of funds, I won't even look at it. And I don't, I think that's fair because everybody can, we can all say we have cash, but do we have enough to close? 
And right. um, the only one I've ever had is an out of town, um, you know, situation where somebody, uh, the money was coming from out of the country and it never did close, um, even though it was cash. Um, and they did give us a letter. Um, some countries stop money coming in because they're not sure where it's going. I mean, you'd be surprised what um, our government and, you know, what other governments stop just to make sure where it's coming from. And that's what you got to verify. It's, it's our job as a realtor to verify where the funds are coming from. So when you get, so if we move away from cash to the next thing, which is like the pre-approval letter, do when for, for somebody to write an offer like these seven that are on this property in this case, do all of those have pre-approval letters attached to them? And what's the pre-approval letter given a description or is that the offer? Like I'm kind of sorting these things out. I think we're, some of us are kind of learning from, from you, Jerry. Well, um, I won't work with a buyer that doesn't have a pre-approval and I will not um, submit a offer without a pre-approval in a multi-offer situation. And there's only, well, I shouldn't say I won't, I'll do it, but the seller's never going to look at it because if you have one with no pre-approval and six with, you know, pre-approvals, you're going to go, this one doesn't have their pre-approval in these mm -hmm. six do. I can try and see if I can get that. But by that time, the seller's already like, let's put that one aside. Let's look at these. And then that's the problem. You should have had it ASAP. You should have had it before you even started with your realtor. Um, go to your favorite bank. Go to the bank that you're using as a lending institution. Um, when I tell my buyers to go get a pre-approval, I don't just say, it, people think that, you know, I don't have a preference. I have zero preference. Go to your bank. Yes, I have friends in, in the banking business and I will refer, but for me, if you have a bank account at, you know, Fifth Third Bank or Toledo or Toledo uh, Union, Credit Union or Glass City Federal, the first thing I'm going to say is, okay, have you called them, see what their rates are and see if they're the best fit. Because a lot of things in um, banking, you know, just because it's the rate that you want, there might be an underlining um, as far as, you know, fees that get charged on and everything. So you don't, as a realtor, we don't want to 100% send all of our business to one entity. You want to, you know, ask them where they're going. Um, are they happy with that bank? If you're happy, use that bank. If not, we've got somebody for you. And so when you sit down with this client now, whenever this happens and you sort through these, like what, it sounds like you touched on a little bit, but as the, as being the advocate for the seller, mm -hmm. you're going to kind of walk he or she through the scenario of what differentiates those seven besides just the dollar amount? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So what I try to do is if there is a cash offer, a um, conventional FHA, VA, I set them all out. I highlight each one if there's a negative on it. Like I'm like, okay, well this one, oh, I wish they wouldn't have put on there that they want $3,000 back in buyer concessions. So I just highlight it. So the seller can look at them all at face value and say, okay, now let's look at, you know, financing. Let's look at what the contingencies are. Let's, let's dig into every offer and then take two out of that pile. And let's take two and let's put those two up against each other. We're right now with the highest and best. I always tell my sellers highest and best means highest and best. You'll have some sellers want to counter um, a highest and best. And you're like, wait a minute, we already did the highest and best. Mm -hmm. um, Yes, we, I mean, we do have sellers that'll do that. 
Um, it's, it's in their best interest to do whatever makes them feel better. I always try to steer clear of that because, you know, buyers get upset and then they think they've paid too much. And then you get into escalation clauses, which I did want to touch on, which, um, so an escalation clause, those just came out maybe about seven or maybe 10 years ago. Um, they're very interesting because somebody will submit an offer and let's say you say your offer is 250,000. Let's just use a rough guesstimate. Mm -hmm an escalation clause, your offer could be the best offer at 255,000. Mm -hmm. And this guy over here with 250 has an escalation clause that goes all the way to 259. So if your, your agent wrote an escalation clause and it goes to 259, sometimes the seller will go, okay, wait a minute, let's look at these. They're both the same, but this one has an escalation clause let's see where, where they'll go with this. And then they'll counter and say, okay, you know, uh, 257, they take it. And it, you know, an escalation clause will always probably be chosen because right now, I mean, I've got three escalation clauses in here. So now you've got three escalation clauses that you're dealing. So everybody knows what they're doing when yeah. you're working with a multi-offer and, you know, the seasoned agents that have been doing it 10, 15 years, we all know what, it's all about experiences too. It's like, you know what you've gone through in the past and you don't want it to happen again. So maybe seven years ago, you didn't have an escalation clause on an offer. And then all of a sudden you stick one in and you won. And yeah. so that's the excitement of the escalation clause is that you might win every time if nobody else puts one in. Yeah. Well, you also I'm, know, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say probably 80% of my offers, I just write them as high as I want with that buyer. and. I would probably say I probably only lose maybe five to 10% of the time, just because I really do make sure if my client loves it that much, I always say, do you love it enough to go this much more? And it's going to be a, a big number. It's not going to be a little number. I want it. You want it? How bad do you want it? And then we discuss what's that level. If you lost it, if you lost the offer, what mm -hmm. would it be? Let's not play the game. If you lost it tomorrow at two fifty nine you're okay. And they'll say, yes. Okay. Well then that's what we're going to write because why, why write an escalation clause and play up and down, up and down, up and down. When, if you were going to go to 259, you have seven, you have seven offers that you have in hand. Why do that? Just go to the number you want to go to and get it in. Yeah. And interest rates are really low. Yeah. Right. Great. So nominal uh, difference on that. And then the other element I would think that would be a big deal would be if you in the pace that houses are moving, like mm -hmm. if you miss it, you might not get another chance yeah. at something like, like, you know, there's a lot of houses moving, but there's not a lot of houses seemingly for sale. Well, this market is created. I mean, obviously it's a seller's market, but I kind of can feel like it's a buyer's market too. And not that they're getting a good deal. It's just that there it's just when a house comes on so far i haven't seen too many bad houses there's very few houses on the market and it seems like the good ones are coming on i mean it's like uh, a great kitchens great bathrooms people have renovated um and you're not seeing as much as you know a lot of people are like have you seen bad house i have seen everything i've got pictures that would make everybody laugh just because I'm like, why would somebody put a, a toilet in the middle of a bedroom? But who knows? You know, it's just somebody's personal preference, whatever happened, you know, whatever. But 
right now the best of the best is on the market and they're not lasting very long. And on top of that, not only are they not lasting long, if they are on the market and they have been on the market for maybe let's just say 27 days, there's nothing wrong with a property that's on the market 27 days. That's what a lot of people are like, why is it on the market so long? It, it's not that, that, you know, 10 buyers went over here, this buyer, you know, the seller didn't get very much activity yet. They'll get it. They always do. So. Yeah. Well, in 27 days in today's market seems long, but in a traditional market, that's, that's pretty normal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right now we've got about six months of inventory um, in our, and people are like, no, that means it got, it went up. Yes, it did. It went up, but that's okay. I mean, we have been waiting for inventory since April. We have not had almost any inventory in every price range. And it's kind of, you take a buyer out and then it's became, it becomes feast and famine with these offers. They're right. It, people are writing 10 and $15,000 over asking because they want that house and they know there's nothing out there. So is that a problem with the appraisals or are the appraisals, because the appraisal, the, the thing I was told, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the appraisals look back at what's happened in the past. And then you guys, the real estate folks are looking forward to what you expect things to be worth, not just today, tomorrow, but in the future. Yeah. Is that a correct it's, assessment? Yes. And it's created some problems because you'll see, um, you know, a house that has, um, I'm not going to use this one because I don't have any appraisals, but another house that I had, um, we had six offers on it and the appraisal came in less than the buyer's offer. And you're, you're upset as an agent, you're upset as a seller because you're, you're, you don't understand what just happened. Now you got to reduce, you got choices. You either reduce, you negotiate with the buyer. You say, no, I'm putting it back on the market. I mean, you can walk as a seller and just say, you know, I'm just going to wait for the next appraisal to come through. You know, the only one that that doesn't work with is FHA because FHA logs all of it. Um, it's on a computer. Um, if that appraisal goes in, it's good for six months. So, you know, a conventional loan probably would be fine to, you know, have another buyer, uh, maybe even um, a VA. Um, but yeah, it's created some problems because in your mind, you, you get five and six offers on a property. You want to fight for the seller. Cause you're like, you know, Mr. Appraiser. Um, I don't see how you could do that when you have five and six offers and then you have no inventory, but yet you're going to appraise this property $5,000 less. And to me, $5,000 in the spectrum of an offer. I mean, that's, to me, and I, I say that's like five bucks a month. Why would you do that? But they have their rhymes and reasons. And, you know, they don't want to have another 2007 happen to us. And, you know, that's what happened with predatory lending and all of that. So you just, you have to trust your appraiser. I mean, we all get upset, but, you know, it, it works out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting story because I've, I, you know, I'm in the middle of a lot of these transactions in the sense that people are like, hey, I need a net worth statement. I need this. I need that. The money in our brokerage account, we're going to have to use some of that for the down payment or whatever. And then um, I also was talking to somebody and they said that, that like, we're, we're in Perrysburg, you know, so I guess it's a good area to talk about, but that some of the higher end homes have not been moving so much. And some of that might be something to do with financing too, that, that some of the companies, 
maybe because of COVID or maybe something I don't even, I'm not even aware of why, um, aren't doing the jumbo loans. Yes. And so that's, ironically enough, I, I actually had one and I still do that um, we've done everything. We've done appraisals, we've done everything. And because it hits over that 450, which is jumbo, mm -hmm. um, you find one less buyers, obviously. Two, yeah. during COVID, you know, it should have been sold in February, March, and April. And then you get an appraisal to find out what's going on. I, I need to understand this. And it comes back at exactly what you have it at. And so then what do you do? You, and you got a seller who's, do I reduce? Well, of course, I mean, obviously we're going to have to, but you know, nobody wants to give the bad news to a seller that they have to reduce their price. But right. I mean, when you run out, it, you, you got to also take into consideration, I'm just going to use our local market, but you mentioned Perrysburg, you know, Perrysburg, Savannah, they're still building. So we've got a lot of builders that are up against you. So you've got to take into consideration that plus paying your taxes, you have to pay taxes more if you just don't let it go. I mean, you think about some of these Perrysburg taxes, they're all anywhere between six and $10,000. Uh, is it worth the time to keep it on the market if you would have just reduced? So, right. Yeah. So are there any surprises in a market like this or have you just been doing this so long that you don't really see, see anything that you haven't seen before? No, I don't, I don't think there's really any surprises. The biggest thing is, you know, um, everybody has to, you know, be calm. That's my, I always tell everybody, you know, you gotta be calm. Every house sells, um, every buyer gets a home. You just gotta take the time and you know, this is my job. This is my baby. Um, I, I consider my business, I raised it to what it is today and I don't panic. I'm not going to panic in any time. I went through um, 2007, eight and nine and um, yeah, it becomes a little tight, but then I made it. So if you can make it through that, you can make it through anything. You can right. make it through COVID. I, you know, everybody was so panicky about where's our business and everything. I'm in to me, I was like, okay, well, what are you doing during COVID? Like you should be stirring up business, checking on people, seeing if anybody that needs to refinance because they're scared of their job or whatever, reach out to people um, that maybe you haven't reached out to in a long time just to see how they're doing because, you know, somebody's going to know somebody that needs some help that you can help. And while you're sitting, you know, idle, that's what you should be doing during this time is drumming up business. Mm -hmm. So. Good, good. Easy for you to say, because you know, 20 some years. I know everybody that like, they say the same thing to me. Oh yeah, no, it's easy for you. Well, I mean, 20 some years later, it's easier than it was, yeah. but there's a lot of uh, 50, 60, 70 hour weeks that go into all this luck that we're having now, yeah. you know? <laughs> I was blessed. I actually, um, as a realtor, um, was able to go to every single child's um, baseball game, dance recital. I got to be, you know, room mom and bring cookies and all that stuff. But the one thing that I regret is in the beginning, I was working between 50 and 70 hours just to get the business up and running. And most people don't, they think, you know, realtors are sleeping and waking up and having mimosas and you know, out on a beach, um, that's not, that's, if you're, if you're working and making money, you are not doing that. You are working a, a good 40 to 60 hours a week at minimum. And then I'm up at late at night because I always um, try to beat the market. Um, the new listings come in at midnight. And so I, if I have a buyer who 
is panicking about getting a home. I wait till midnight. I look at what's going on and then I um, text him immediately in the morning, tell him we've got an appointment and we're going to this house if I fall in love with it. So sometimes I fall in love with a home um, and my clients are like, ah, and I'll take them out there and they're like, oh my gosh, you just hit, hit it on the nail. It was beautiful. Um, but sometimes you actually have to go to the home. And I tell everybody, if there's only a limited amount of homes, go to the majority of them. If there's only 10, go to all 10. You, you might, the one that you think is ugly just might be a bad photographer. Um, you know, I mean, I tell everybody realtors make everything look great. We should really be photographers. Uh, because yeah. sometimes you'll go out to a home and everybody's like, that did not look like that picture. Right. <laughs> that, not, that, that was not good. She angled herself just to take mm -hmm. that picture. That's true. I mean, you know, sometimes we're trying to move around and, you know, but, but in general, if you, I, I tell everybody even go to the ugly houses because, you know, you might see more square footage and a better floor plan for your family. So, you know, for me, I want to see them all. So it sounds pretty easy, um, difficult, but simple, I should say. If you were looking to buy a house, you got to get the pre-approval letter and you have to get a realtor that's going to be able to show you around and let you in. And that, that captures the essence of what you're trying to do. If you're a person that you're like, geez, the house across the street from me just sold for this much. That's way more than I sold my house for. I should consider selling. And somebody's now in a spot where they're thinking about that, like what's the first thing they should do as a potential seller? Stay off the market. Um, if you are not going to sell your home, that's the my big pet peeve is somebody will put their house on the market and then we'll, we get it listed, we get buyers, and then the, I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm going to pull it and go into a withdrawal or an expired. Oh, and and then some of them will put it even higher than what we come in at and you know sometimes i'll let my sellers do that i'll say okay but in 10 to 15 days if we are not with an offer or 10 to 15 showings in a huge market like this we need to reduce and yeah. it's a come to jesus moment you you've got to listen to the person this is what we do all day long you don't go to the doctor and say you know this tooth over here goes well let me pull this one instead you know, you, you, you definitely, you got to listen. And sometimes people don't want to listen to a price, but we know where it's going to sell at. I mean, we, we've got enough experience in the market, 26 years experience in the market to know that if you're going to put your house 90,000 over your neighborhood, it, it better have a gold mine. So. Yeah. Good, yeah. good, good. Well, we're already <laughs> almost our time mark already. That's crazy. I felt like that just was like two minutes, but is there anything else that like in parting that, that we should know about or be aware of or watch out for, et cetera, anything, any more uh, good pointers from, I just feel like you just gave me an awful lot of good information in a very short period of time. Like that was pretty fantastic. Yeah, well, I, my motto is you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. It's what you do. And that's Henry Ford, by the way. That's one of my favorite quotes is that, um, but as far as the market and what's going to be out there and what we should do, just remain calm. Find, take your time. Time is the biggest thing that, you know, we've got buyers out there. Um, I need to find a house, right? I, I always say sit back and relax because if I can find you the best house, you won't be moving again. I want them to move, certainly. I mean, every time they come back to me or refer to me, that's great. But 
I would love to find them their forever home. I mean, that's what you want to do. And, and in this market, sit back. I mean, you're going to see the elections are going to affect um, some of our sales. It's going to affect some of our purchasing. It'll slow down. It always kicks back up. Something we know about our economy is that it's always up and down. And um, if it's down, it's going up. We saw it down, what, what two months ago, three months ago, and yeah. it is spiked. It is spiked. And yes, it goes down a little bit, but then it's back right, right back up. You know that and, mm -hmm. in, in investments. I mean, we're watching um, investments go crazy right now, and that's great. It's great for everybody. Right. And with stock markets the way they are and with interest rates, they, they're talking about keeping the interest rate at where it's at. And so that would be wonderful, 3%. Two and a half percent on a fifteen-year mortgage. Ah, it's crazy. My parents didn't experience that, so yeah. No, no they were in the teens. Yeah. Like I, I often that's one of the questions I often ask to clients, and you'll get some of those sixty-year-olds who bought their first house at thirteen, fifteen. I think I had one twenty percenter. Yeah, like that's crazy. Like think of how that how different that is from today. Yeah, my parents had fifteen percent, and they thought that was amazing. Yeah, um, just try to get a house. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of funny because you're like, yeah, 15% when I'm getting three, you get a bigger house. You get a lot more house. I mean, people out there, if you're thinking about buying at 3%, get out and buy, get out and buy because you know, who knows when it'll change. I hope it stays like they, they're thinking about doing um, because gosh, I mean, every buyer um, can afford I don't know, 20% more of a home. I mean, you went from, let's just say they were in a 1500 square foot home to maybe 18 or um, 2000 square feet because now they can afford it. Yeah. It's great. So, awesome. Yeah. Jerry, always enjoy spending time with you. Thanks for all your expertise and help. Always, and uh, one more time, give us the way to reach you. What's the best way to find Jerry Walzak? So I'll say my email and then I'll spell it too because sometimes um, people mess up. But it's simply Jerry at Vex.net and that's S-I-M-P-L-Y-G-E-R-R-I at Vex, B-E-X.net. And my phone number is 419-261-7362. And I am, I work 20, almost 24 hours a day, but I do take personal time. But I just, I'm always there for my clients when they need me. So. It was nice talking to you, Dan. Great talking to you. Thanks for your time, Jerry. Yeah. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Yep, you too. Bye. Yeah. Products and services using the following business names: Creative Financial Partners, Insurance and Financial Services, Ameritas Investment Company, LLC, AIC, Member FINRA, SIPC, Security Investments, Ameritas Advisory Services, AAS Investment Advisory Services, AIC and AAS are not affiliated with Creative Financial Partners. Products and services are limited to residents of states where the representative is registered. This is not an offer securities in any jurisdiction nor is it specifically directed to a resident of any jurisdiction. As with any security request prospectus from a representative, read carefully before you invest or send money. A representative will contact you to provide request information. Representative of AIC and AAS do not provide legal or tax advice. Please consult your tax advisor or attorney regarding the situation. Whew. Thanks for watching.